Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. Horror for the casually obsessed. I got a frog in my throat. (laughs) Better cut it out. That was a dead ringer joke. Okay. That's what we're talking about today. We are talking about David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. It's part two of the Cronenberg family values. We didn't do our names. What if they don't know us? (laughs) What if they don't know who we are? I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're here today to talk about David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Uh... The fashions, the interior design, the moita. The moita. The drug addiction, the weird nightmares and implements for performing surgery. And the weird pizza box. Yeah, we actually spend a lot of time talking about that pizza box. It's uh, integral to the film. Yeah, I guess so. And my review of the film. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you're unfamiliar with Dead Ringers, you know, it's from the same guy that brought you The Fly and Videodrome, last week's episode, Scanners, but it is much more of a dark drama. It is... A little more artsy-fartsy, I guess, is the nicest way. That's not very nice. That is a way of putting it. That's how I'm putting it. Hey, our our highbrow stuff always goes under artsy-fartsy. That is very true. Uh, but it is undeniably Cronenbergian. Kim, would you like to give everybody three good things about Dead Ringers if they've never given it a shot? Yeah, I might need your help. Um, So number one, we're going to go with a nuanced performance by Jeremy Irons in two roles. Yeah, Jeremy Irons plays twins in this movie, and it's amazing. Yeah, and I'm going to do point two and say that the editing and the cinematography is really fucking good. They make it seamless. I know it's kind of all in one point, but the performance and how it's executed are... Two fucking separate great things about this movie. I mean, it's almost fitting that that kind of takes up two spots. It is a movie about twins and duality and identity and and yada, yada, yada. Uh, Number three, let's go for something fun. Jeremy Irons dips a pizza in red wine. (laughs) He he also (laughs) eats a birthday cake with his bare fucking hands. Is that really going to be our third fun thing? It's my my third fun thing on Letterboxd. That's what I wrote down. All right, fine. Uh, actually, I think my three good things were Jeremy Irons dips pizza in red wine, Jeremy Irons eats a birthday cake with his bare hands, and gynecological tools for- Mutant women. For Yeah, for surgery on mutant women. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's definitely a descent into madness type movie. It is not the feel-good movie of the summer. It's a bit of a bummer and a downer, but an incredibly nuanced performance and and super-duper dark analysis of identity. Yeah, so crack open a bottle of vino and uh, give Dead Ringers a go. Oh, what are you talking about? We are a box of vino audience. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you got to save every penny you can right now. Get that box. We have bonus air miles. <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, though, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, we've got a fun night planned with the Fiend Club this Friday. If you're listening to this when the episode drops, I think it's the 15th. Uh, we're doing a game night, and it's poll, so it's Fiend Club choice. We're choosing between either playing Evil Dead, the game, online, cross-platform, and we'll be playing it on Twitch, or Phasmophobia, the ghost hunting game, which is also cross-platform, or sliding into the Nightmare on Film Street Spooky Speakeasy, the virtual hangout and bar, where we have One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Horror Pictionary. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun. Plus, we all get to see each other that way, right? Because you've got... Yeah, you've got your little 8-bit character, but you can put your webcam on if you want. We can all chat and stuff. That'd be great. Yeah, so that kicks off this Friday, July 15th, question mark, at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, or 6 p.m. Pacific time. I love that you try and do multiple time zones. You don't just pick one and be like, it's this one at this time. Figure it out on your Sometimes own. Sometimes I do, but now, like, since we've moved, I don't even know what time I'm in. So yeah, it's gotten complicated. I'm just trying to, you know, at least for North America. I'm sorry if you're from England. I, I'm assuming it's 6 a.m. because it's usually like 6 a.m. when we have you guys out for an event. But yeah, it's going to be super fun. We haven't done a game night in a while, and I'm really excited to play some games with y'all, especially now that we've confirmed our Wi Fi does not suck. Yeah, that's. That's true. If you can't make it out, though, we have we just released our Freddy vs. Jason episode, part eight of the Never Sleep Again series. That bonus episode is waiting for you. Uh, we're going to be putting out the final episode next week, talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, oh, that's going to be a doozy. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, like, you know, going forward in the calendar, eventually, we'll be talking about Nope. I thought it was coming out this weekend, and I'm real sad about it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe we were seeing old trailers, but... We've the release the... date has moved. Yeah. I hope, no, I'm getting off Twitter from now until it comes out. Because I'm just super, I just don't want to know anything about it. Yeah, we've avoided that second trailer. Uh, from what I understand, it has not been screened for critics. So there's there's zero opinions out there and zero spoilers. That's how I'd like to fucking keep it. Yep, I think the horses did it. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of that, Fantasia has just kicked off. If you want to get a heads up on some new horror movies that are coming your way, we'll be covering everything that we've been seeing at the Fantasia Film Festival on the website at nofspodcast.com. Most of that will be on the homepage, but if you want to just look up Fantasia, you'll you'll find all the reviews and interviews we're posting there. Obviously, we'll also be sharing it to, to social media, but the biggest thing keeping me creepy this week... What's that? We built a motherfucking movie theater in our backyard. <laughs> A 200-inch screen. It took fucking five days to build because we got rained out. It's glorious. It's fucking wonderful. We sort of took a bunch of photos and film stuff, so we're going to try to do like a little TikTok DIY of how we built it because this is maybe the most legit thing we've ever done. Oh, yeah. This is us. This is... We could charge admission. <laughs> this is leaps and bounds from the, like, we're putting up a bed sheet against the fence in the backyard days. Which have been up until now. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think we, we were high tech enough to get a bed sheet. We were like, there is this old Coors beer ad that's white on the background. If we pin that up... Up and put the projector close enough, we can kind of make out the movie. I mean, it worked for a while, but now we have an actual, legit, formatted for theater screen size, and it is ginormous. Like, you can see it from the lawn. You could also see it from the house when you're going to refill your drink. Yeah. Fingers, it's, uh... Oh. 
I'm so excited. It looks amazing. Like, uh, you strung up a bunch of Edison bulbs as well, so it really kind of looks like we made our- I classed up the joint. Yeah, we made our own beer garden almost is kind of what it looks like. Uh, Fingers crossed our projector can handle this, because I think it was just like a cheapy thing we bought a while ago. We bought a shitty little cheap one off Amazon, so it says it can do reverse projection, which is what we're trying to do, and the screen we bought accepts reverse projection, so- uh, Hopefully all this work was not for naught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, follow the exploits. Uh, follow either the heartbreak or the joy on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just what's been keeping us creepy. You know, let us know what you've been watching, what you've been getting up to. It's the fucking summer, guys. This is the time of year to this be is... watching summer camp movies outside. Uh, horror high season. Like, everybody talks about October, but for me, summer is where horror is at. That's my favorite time to watch horror movies. Well, you can watch them outside. That's a big thing. That is also a big thing. Drive-in season. And we don't have a drive-in near us anymore. We have a drive-in in our fucking yard. That's right. We finally did it. Asterisk providing the projector works. <laughs> but let's get into it. Let's talk about David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Beverly Mantle. By every scientific measure, they are absolutely the same. They share everything. You haven't had any experience until I've had it too. Maybe you've got to try the movie star. She's unbelievable. Doctor, you've cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her then. You drop her. I'm in love with her. I'll be in love if it does this to you, Kenneth. Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? They're working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality the ultimate fantasy. Dead Ringers. Separation can be a a terrifying thing. David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers is currently sitting at a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Isn't it cool that a filmmaker like David Cronenberg can give you fucking Midnight Madness, exploitation-type horror, like Scanners? And then Canadian Psychos. Canadian Psychos, yeah, just like a pure art house thriller. I really enjoy this movie. Uh, last time I saw it, I don't think I dedicated anything to memory because going into it, I was like, I'm here for the really cool apartment I remember, lots of <laughs> art deco, love those cement look walls, yeah. and mild to moderate incest. <laughs> 
but you know, I I miscategorized it. I would not put this in the incest category at the blockbuster. It would not go under Ooh, horror incest. I, mm, I mean, sure, sure, it doesn't a hundred percent belong there, but it really, it, like, right on the edge of it, right? It's, like, whatever category comes right beside that, <laughs> that's where it should be placed. That's what I think. What's so great about Dead Ringers is that it's playing with the squick of in- incest, the innate taboo of it, the uncomfortable. Um, the uncomfortability you get raw down deep in your stomach of incest, but it's another film about identity and struggling to live without an identity, without being a full person. Yeah. And uh, I guess it just uses incestual themes to, I don't know, get that across. They have a weird relationship with sex. Regardless, I mean, we see that the very first scene of this movie, we see them as kids. Like, I discovered what sex is today. Uh, it's in, in, and why human beings have sex. It's because we don't live underwater. And then they, they can just go to like a little girl down the street, like, would you like to have sex with us in a tub? It's for an experiment. Like, they already come to the human experience in a far removed way from normal people. Yeah. They approach it with a scientific eye that, that edges toward inhumanity. Yeah, it's kind of giving that like doctor's bedside manner. It's almost like they were born wearing like the doctor's rubber gloves mm. and everything they access in the world is like through that rubber glove. Yeah, everything's ew. Everything's <laughs> keep it away. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll never actually touch the human condition. No. Oh, man. And it's because they're not a full person, right? Like, at least that's what the movie's saying. We should, yes, this is based on a true story. It's based on a book about two Canadian doctors who did kind of this. Like, they pretended to be each other in scenarios where they really shouldn't have done that. But that's about all I know about those real people. I think to some extent, all twins do something like this between the ages of like 8 and 12, just to see what they'll get away with. But this takes that to the you mean more like, like definitely oh, not like this. No, yeah, like doing a presentation that one's too nervous to do. Or... Asking a girl out that they're okay. Well, that's yeah, <laughs> that's that's. I'm talking younger than that, John. Okay. <laughs> or just you know what I mean, like one has to go to a recital or something. You know the old parent trap. I was situation. gonna say this is David Cronenberg's parent trap. Like, <laughs> how long would we get into this podcast before one of us mentioned parent trap? I mean, it basically uses the same technology that Parent Trap used. It looks great. Oh God, it's if if you watch it for how seamlessly Jeremy Irons is in two scenes at once or one scene at twice. <laughs> alone is fantastic you get lost in it you almost have to watch the movie twice i had such a hard time and i told this to you while we were watching it i was like i'm gonna focus on the plot of the film and the story of the film and try really hard not to be like jeremy irons is acting against nothing i t- and pretending to have conversations with himself and it comes across so smooth i kept thinking about the logistics of making shots because they have tracking shots where we're following the two of them like through their office and he's talking with himself while they're walking and like you know that had to be a huge pain in the ass back in 1988 now you just tell a computer like okay you you do this twice (laughs) but yeah because all of the marks they would have had to set because like that scene you're talking about they walk to a point one of them says something the other reacts they walk a little bit more somebody says something somebody reacts like the timing of getting that down and even just the facial reactions of acting like you've heard something somebody said Mm -hmm. is 
wonderful. Not even the fact that they lined up the shots. Yeah. I don't even know how they would have done it. I don't know if they like rotoscoped one into the other oh, maybe. frame. I, I honestly do not know. My, yeah, my guess was uh, we should have just watched a behind the scenes featurette or something before recording this. My assumption is that you basically do the exact same the identical shot twice, splice them together, and then rotoscope any out any of the errors would be my guess. Yeah. It, Who fucking knows? <laughs> it's crazy. And I mean, apart from the scenes where there's like definite wig work where we're only seeing the back of a character even that is done well there's one shot in particular that i fucking thoroughly enjoyed where one of the twins is back to us at the dinner table and the camera pans to the side like we we move with the conversation and the brother that's not currently jeremy irons the back of the head Mm -hmm. turns with the camera so that he's always have his has his back to the camera but it's so smooth yeah and like so you can never see the side of his face yeah it doesn't impact the the shot or the the like the dialogue you're not too focused on like oh this is not a brother yep i I love wonderful i love that there's a weird uncle out there who's forcing people to watch this movie like that but that's me that's the back of my head (laughs) i was in this movie and like sure 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 sure. the back of jeremy irons (laughs) this is a strange movie man this is a really. Str- it's also just really strange that you love this movie so much. Uh, why? Why do you love this movie so much? Because um, it's it's really a tragedy. Like when I talk about you know David Cronenberg being able to make a movie like Scanners and being able to make a serious psychosexual drama like Dead Ringers, uh, it's it's even more different than that. Like they are completely different tonally. There is nothing hoorah fun about it. It it is a dour, depressing movie. <laughs> Nobody's heads explode. <laughs> it checks very few boxes for me, but I still love it. Well, like I lo- I really like the first half where we're, where it is very parent trappy and it's yes. just like, what are these fiendish brothers gonna get away with? And like, like ooh, what am I gonna say on the date tonight? <laughs> scandalous. Um, and then it gets really dark, and and you just become a part of this off the rails mind car that you're like, why did you put me on this mine car I don't want to see it go this far and you yeah. feel you feel bad for them but they're not necessarily good people and it's it's a train wreck that you can't look away from yeah there's an inevitability to this movie that is hard to steer away from yeah yeah and they they don't do a lot to fix that problem there's a great moment at the end of the movie like one of the brothers i was gonna say jeremy irons is uh is a a drug addict who's spiraling out of control uh and jeremy irons his brother forces himself to become one as well okay you have to talk with their character names so beverly is the shyer one yes the more reserved one and elliot is the i would say the dominant one the slightly older brother yes who has more charisma and more I would say like that star quality. He's got that it factor. Yeah. That that some twins don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's the more confident one. Beverly spirals out of control and becomes a drug addict and Elliot follows him into it. And there's there's a moment where Elliot's girlfriend is saying to him, like, hey, you know that if you don't put these in these pills, if you don't put them in your mouth, they don't go in your bloodstream. You don't have to do this. You won't become an addict if you don't take them. Mm-hmm. But he says that he needs to get in sync with Beverly. And then yeah. once that happens, they can fix everything. It'll be fine because they need to be the same person. Like, that's that's what's that's what I think is so interesting about them. They have schizophrenia but it's like a schizophrenia of the body like they Ooh. they feel incomplete 
and and they're at war with that. Like they want to be their own individual, but they don't want to be separate from this other person. So it's like they want to either absorb each other or not exist. Yeah, I I think I said that at some point when we were watching it. How Beverly lives this weird fantasy where he wishes he absorbed Elliot in the yeah. Womb. Or sorry, Elliot. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Elliot lives this weird fantasy where he wishes he absorbed Beverly in the womb. Yeah. Because be- he's clearly the quote unquote dominant twin. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can't remember whether you but, said that. But Elliot wins out. So then at the very end of the film, Elliot kind of is, it, it kind of reverses because Elliot's the one who first disconnects from his brother because they separate over Claire. So this actress comes into their life because she has three wombs, uh, which isn't nearly discussed enough, I don't think. <laughs> that's, uh, that's yeah, now that you say that, that is an interesting wrinkle. Um I don't know what it means. And they, I don't know yeah, it so <laughs> how they get found out is is that they're kind of sharing Claire. One takes over for... Basically, Elliot gets girlfriends for Beverly because he's not so suave. And he's very heads down into his work. And um, Elliot thinks that he can't do it on his own, essentially. And so he gets Claire. And then Beverly falls in love with her and yeah. wants Claire for himself. Yeah, there's even a moment where he's like, ah, oh, we're in uncharted territory with this one. Because they would pick up girls and drop girls at any moment, you know. Uh, but they there was never a connection because they loved each other more than they could love anybody else until Claire comes around and uh, really takes Beverly over. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, and so that's the first point where they're kind of severed and they don't know how to function without one another. They're, and they're poor, poor Beverly because he goes down this spiral where he develops a drug addiction, a pretty gnarly, uh, uncomfortable to watch drug addiction. And he is not surrounded by great helpers. He's got some weird enablers in his corner. <laughs> yeah, well, because they're doctors too, they have to keep it a secret. So he can't give... Elliot can't bring his brother to treatment because he doesn't want to lose his practice. He doesn't want to lose their practice. And plus their access to drugs is... Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, at one point in the movie they talk about how there's uh, how doctors have, uh, notoriously have, uh, drug addictions. 
Claire's the one that brings that up. She's an actress. She's basically saying like, oh yeah, it's 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 kind of a unwritten, not unwritten rule. It's 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 not uncommon for a a celebrity to have a drug addiction. Yeah, it's like hazards of the job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's not surprising that both of them would have the same addictive nature and that when Elliot kind of starts falling into the same patterns, almost intentionally, I would say intentionally. Oh, he does it 100% intentionally. Yeah, that Elliot is able to meet Beverly at his point of addiction very quickly. Yeah. There is always this need for them to... It's so it's so interesting that they want to share the same life. Um, and that we're seeing, and they, they've been doing that pretty successfully their entire lives, but we're, we're meeting them now at a point in their adulthood where they're coming up against the realities of that problem. Where they should naturally be branching apart. Like Elliot is going more into lectures and speaking and he's winning accolades and awards and his career is starting to take him elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It's, it's taking him into more travel and more kind of more in the limelight and so they're not able to you know can you do a date the practice for me so i can go on a date with this girl yeah. and then and switch and vice versa and also elliot doesn't have the same bedside manner that beverly has and so when elliot spends a day in beverly's practice he ruins kind of some oh, of his yeah. relationships with his patients you know it's really funny um they're both given outs a hundred like in this movie elliot has professional advancement that's taking him away from Beverly and Beverly has a romantic connection that's taking him away from Elliot but they both can't take it they both can't accept it yeah uh you know as, as hard as it is in in their minds which is really um driven home in that Cronenberg-y literal way at the end of the film they feel Siamese it's yeah. like they've been living their life as if they are Siamese there's a really great nightmare halfway between the movie when Elliot's first, you know, falling into his drug addiction, taking these pills that'll give him nightmares and ha give him trouble sleeping, where he wakes up and they are conjoined right around the stomach. And I don't know if you noticed that in the finale when he's surgically removing Elliot from himself, when he's yeah. separating them as Siamese twins, uh -huh. he starts there. Oh, that's a good point. He starts at that spot. Okay. Yeah. With that weird fucking instrument he made. Yeah, when he like who <laughs> When Beverly is in the grips of his addiction and he is losing his mind and he's like, you know what I need to do? Make some weird surgical instruments. But, so, but how fucking terrifying is it that he's saying that the women are all wrong inside? That yeah. he's hallucinating or he can't visually grasp his medical training anymore that he doesn't recognize female internal organs this is his profession this is his specialty and obviously these these men are very renowned at what they do they they work in women's fertility mm -hmm. and they deal with situations where women don't have the standard you know equipment and to be, like, haunted by that and terrified by that. Something about that just was the most scary thing in the movie. Like, there's some body horror in this, but the scariest thing for me was when Elliot didn't recognize a cervix. <laughs> well, that and just... Sorry, him... when Beverly didn't recognize a cervix. I'm going to do that the whole time. <laughs> I've already done it several times. Don't worry about it. Uh, it, it, it it's, it's also just that he gets to the surgery room with these, like, how, torture... How <laughs> did he get this far? It, like, his secretary sees him doing heroin or something. Yeah. Literally injecting something into his arm, and then the next scene, 
he's suited up for surgery in the most Cronenbergian surgery outfits. Yeah, what's up with that, right? I love them. I forgot that they were in these red, weird medieval gowns at the beginning of the movie. In my mind, I was like, oh yeah, he goes crazy, makes everybody put on these red gowns, and then brings out his like medieval torture device medical tools. Some people wear minions on their on their scrubs. Other people just go straight for that gothic church look. They look like they should be singing like creepy nuns. Yes, singing creepy choir hymns in the underground catacombs of France. You know what I'm saying? Like they look really fucking strange. And to be like, yep, just a normal day at our regular profession where we are practicing medicine. (laughs) Respected doctors, uh, the top of our field. This is just what we wear to work. I don't get it. Like how do you, you're like, you're, you're, you're putting your briefcase together. You're like, I need my lunch. I need my paper and I need my creepy, weird red gown. Like, what? <laughs> they, goddamn. So nuts. But the instruments are so spooky. <laughs> yeah, the instruments are pure Cronenbergian. Yeah, yeah. the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, that nuts. one finger thing with the claw. They really it. they oh. really give that a lot of screen time, and for good reason, because it's fucking wild. Like, can you imagine? It's like a Freddy Krueger device. Like, oh, just here to just here to tear open your cervix with my weird sharp knife finger. And keeping in the theme of uh creating art and the the relation of, you know monstrosity and something other being created into art. He has them custom made by a metal worker, an artist, who is our lead actor. Yeah, surprise cameo from Stephen Lack. Yeah, uh, from the previous film, which is cool. Um, But he makes the art for him, even though it's not art, he's intending it to use in a surgical procedure. But he asks yeah. him, like, oh, this is really cool. What What are these for? These are gnarly, man. And he's like, they're for operating, uh, they're surgical tools for operating on mutant women. Like, <laughs> That's a dope collection, man. <laughs> yeah, I love this art installation <laughs> you're putting together. Like, this isn't for, this isn't for art. This is for, this is for medicine. And he ends up stealing it. Yeah, he does end up putting it. That is my fucking favorite, one of my favorite parts of this movie where he is going to see Claire at the end of the movie. He is After like, vomiting on himself. After vomiting outside of her apartment. Yep. Uh, he's he's basically at rock bottom and he sees in the window that the art gallery has them on display and there's a little red sticker to show that somebody has purchased them. I don't know why I find that so funny that somebody's like, oh yeah, no, I need these. <laughs> <laughs> I need these in my house. Well, because his set was confiscated when he was essentially, you know, quietly kicked off the board and not able to yeah. operate anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said they're they're holding them for evidence as proof for a deranged mind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so great. You know, another connection, if we're talking about, you know, how it's a it's a it's a theme that David Cronenberg returns to, but like art installations and and weird stuff like that. Uh this we also notice the mention of the inner beauty pageant. Yes. Which if you've seen Crimes of the Future is is a cornerstone of that movie. But Elliot, when he is uh, and when he's seeing Claire in their their office at the beginning of the movie, talks about how he you know, he always thought that there should be inner beauty pageants, like her best spleen or or cleanest stomach. Like, why do we have just beauty pageants for the outside? Love that he's returned to that. There's such a blend of of the themes. Like, we were talking about the identity crisis and and using art to work through those kinds of things. But also the voyeurism of process being the art and having an audience and in this we're always in like a surgical room or a or a student training office but it's Mm. very similar to all of his other stuff where artists create live with people watching them interesting the same as in scanners there's always like student teachers coming in to observe 
the scanners. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's, hell, even in Crash, there's like a live demonstration of a of a they're recreating James Dean's car crash, and it's they've got an like audience there. If you put people in front of it, it legitimizes it. I think that's gotta be it, right? Especially in Crash, where it's like this guy, like the the lead character in Crash. Uh, who's who's putting that shit together is just a pervert. <laughs> but he's like, hey, if I if I sell tickets, it's an art show. <laughs> Claire is a really interesting character. We don't talk about her much, and it's hard because Elliot and Beverly are such interesting forces in the movie, and they're such big characters. But Claire really represents the first rift in their dynamic, and the fact that she comes back to Beverly after they've played such a disgusting trick on her. Oh yeah is just interesting in its own right because I wouldn't say she's the most highly functional person and and she she's fully aware of it like she's fully aware of her addictions and kind of her mm-hmm. her own crutches but there is something really like natural and fitting about her and Beverly like they really work yeah. together Yeah I I think this is a half-baked idea but like I think it was really uh intentional to make her an actress not just because, like, it would give her, like, she could fly in and fly out and leave him alone, uh, but because she has dual personalities. Like, she has a public persona and a private persona. Mm-hmm. Like, she won't even let him come with her to the airport because they can't have, like, a public goodbye. Because she is too, like, as she walks through the world, she is, like, a bifurcated person. Uh, and then and then on top of that, I guess she also plays roles where she becomes other people. Like, yeah. it's it's similar but to the dynamic. But she's figured out how to have an identity. Like, yes. she is the type of person who can assume the life of somebody else, assume the role of somebody else, pretend to be somebody else, and then come back to being a full person. Maybe Beverly sees... Something like that. Also, the fact that she she does have that star quality. She is a confident and sometimes domineering person. She's got it. And it's like he has to rotate around her like the sun. Mm. And it's like he's just shifted from rotating around his brother to now this other huge personality. Yeah, 100%. Like, he really is trying to... Uh, he really, he he really does trade the addiction of his brother for the addiction of Claire. And then when she's gone, it's the addiction. It's just of the addiction actual of drugs. addiction. <laughs> yeah, like Beverly is such an interesting character because it's almost like he doesn't. He wants to exist inside of somebody. But not not exist, man. They're so weird. Like the dynamic between these two guys is great. We got to read that book. Uh, I'm I'm sure they're a fascinating case study um, because they. I mean, at least how they are presented in this movie, which it's- is fictional. <laughs> <laughs> they are very interesting. The whole time you're like, why isn't somebody intervened yet? Why isn't somebody intervening here? Why isn't somebody intervening here? And you see those kind of things play out in real life whenever there's like a huge scandal. Oh, yeah. And there were so many opportunities and it's just like, why didn't you guys shut this down? <laughs> yeah, like every every high profile real life true crime story has has tons of moments where somebody could have stepped in just, and, and just it, But even just scandal in industry, like when Beverly shows up to that function and he's hammered and, he, and the oh, way yeah. he talks about how they treat women, it's just like, why wasn't there an investigation here? And... Uh, the tools he made himself and how they quietly and respectfully just ask them not to do anymore. It's just that's horror of its own right. Just well, the, yeah, it's it's a ugh. bunch of it's a bunch of people trying to uh, try not to besmirch their own profession. Well, and just right? brushing things under the rug for the sake of not ruffling feathers and not having to, I guess, put the work in. But yeah, it's fucking scary. Yeah, it's not. Nice. How many? Well. Like, not going into things that we shouldn't even get into, but, like, let's talk about the Catholic Church. You know what I mean? Like What? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, stuff like that happens, and it's yeah. fucking horrifying. 
that's what's scary about this. And and even though it's fictional for the most part, it's it's tapping into like very real scary shit. Oh yeah. I know we already talked about Jeremy Irons a little bit. I mean a lot. Sure. We did not give credit to how well he differentiates between Beverly and Elliot. Oh yeah. The acting is so refined and reserved. It's so fucking subtle. I I was like, John, you have to look at the hairline. How they I do their hair. I could not see no, a difference between their hair. They do so Elliot combs his hair back to the side and it gives him a square forehead. Uh-huh. And Elliot wears his hair rounded and a little bit more into his face. Okay, you kept saying square and round, and I was not looking at the forehead. I was looking more at, like, the hairline and... St- and not hairline, like, where the hair parts, and I was like, they look the same to me. It no. looks like hair. It looks... It's all round. <laughs> but Elliot's face has so much more vulnerability in it. And yes. you can tell so easily. Yeah. Even except, in for the just, the, except for the end of the movie. <laughs> well, even in just how they walk, they they carry themselves differently. It's it's incredible. This is why you hire a guy like Jeremy Irons, right? Like you get stage actor Jeremy Irons to star in this incestuous horror thriller <laughs> because you need it. Like you need somebody who can literally be a different person with the same face. Yeah, and you I would say you could not use identical twins for what this movie's trying to portray. Well, yeah, because they are one person. Yeah. Like I think that's yeah, and like there are there are moments in this movie where we have twins. Like twins show up. There's there's twin boys at the beginning of the movie. There's there's twin sex workers in the middle of it, which is a fucking that wild is moment. a fucking scene. When Elliot is just like he looks at them, he's like, I want you to call me Elliot, and I want you to call me Beverly. It's like, goddamn, this is the movie right here. This is the whole fucking movie. <laughs> I'm telling you, he, he his kink, more or less, is that he wishes he absorbed his brother in the womb. That fucking scene where they are dancing with Elliot's girlfriend, oh. and Beverly doesn't want to dance, and he's just, like, forcing him to dance, and he's he's grabbing her hand and rubbing her hand over Beverly's back and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. Love it. It's so weird. Uh, but yes, at the end of the movie, you really really can't tell the difference between the two of them. It's so great. Like where they're both under they're both in the grips of an addiction. They're walking through their their practice. It is fucking trashed. Uh, and you don't know who's who. Like yeah. at all. You, you really really can't tell. It's brilliant. Do you think there was an awareness at the end that one had to kill the other to live? I don't even know if Beverly has a life after this because it's I mean it's it's hard to say they are kind of living in a dream world at the end it's kind of the end of American Psycho where you don't know what's real and what's not because you can't really trust your character Hmm. but if say you know we were to continue moving forward as we were and nobody notices anything and nobody sees anything and he's able to get away with this oh you think using Beverly's alive at the end I think they're both dead. You think they're both dead? Yeah, I think that final image where he's got his oh, dead brother. Oh, it's like a Romeo crater. and Juliet. Oh, because of the poem that they yeah. they talk about. Where they they talk about the first Siamese twins and how one had a seizure in the middle of the night and stroke. the other one stroke. My mistake. Uh, and then the other one died of fright in bed the next morning. Yeah, I think it's just they they like no matter the circumstances they couldn't live without each other. Mm. And like that's that's their flaw is that they both want their own life but they can't leave the other one so it's like they they either continue to have this terrible like they either share a life or they both die like the one of them cannot exist without the other like they are they aren't conjoined twins they're not sharing an organ but they are 
they are sharing something. This is David Cronenberg being like, <laughs> maybe there's a new organ, and the the organ is thought, and life is the the new organ, <laughs> and like that you can't splice out that organ, otherwise you die. Like every I, every David Cronenberg movie is just like, what if we're developing a new organ? I love it. But it's also, I just think it's identity fucking. He just fucks with your sense of self, and you're like, thanks, David Cronenberg. It's 4 p.m. on a Saturday. What the fuck am I supposed to do with these thoughts now? Yeah, right. Like, I was gonna go fucking wash my floor, but now I just want to have existential dread all day. Can you imagine walking out of this theater and seeing this a bright sunny day and going like, well, thank you for that. <laughs> like. Drinks? Like, no, thank you. I don't feel like Yeah, it. five stars. I need to go home and lay down. <laughs> I remember hearing from somebody, a friend of the family, who walked out of Crash uh, when they saw it in the theater because they liked David Cronenberg, and they were just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, I think they were on, like, a date with their then-girlfriend, uh, later their wife, but they, the entire audience was just like, Jesus Christ, what did we just see? That would be a fun story, though, if you went on a date and then a they ended up date? being your wife. Ooh, wow. <laughs> hey, let's go to this new James Spader fic- uh, picture. I don't know, I don't quite know what it's about, but, I mean, it's James Spader, right? I'm sure it'll be a good time. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, what a what a great movie. What a, and the score too. Like we talked, we talked a little bit about like the synth score and and how it, it blends. It's super in. subtle. This score is incredibly like operatic and classical. Same dudes. Also Howard Shore. I mean, he's done like ninety percent of David Cronenberg's scores, but it's hauntingly beautiful. It's so moody. I would probably, I would get this on vinyl. I might put this on next time. There's a thunderstorm rolling in. Uh, it's a, it's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel watching this as a twin, I wonder? Because it deals with twinhood, but it's not really it's I, not really about being a twin. No. I bet if you are a twin and you and you watch this, you think it's a comedy. I bet you think it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> this is another parent trap scenario. <laughs> like do you ever like the brothers from Stuck on You or Stuck With You or watching it? Like flipping hamburgers going home, watching Dead Ringers like it's a like it's dumb and dumber? That'd be hysterical. Because it more appropriately, I think depicts addiction and and life spiraling out of control and that kind of thing that it actually depicts and maybe dysfunctional relationships yeah i mean it is 100 percent an addiction movie like they're addicted to each other um they're addicted to their work they're they're definitely just addicted to each other is kind of what it comes Mm -hmm. down to uh and then they they trade that addiction for something else and ultimately uh, it doesn't matter which addiction they are currently in the grips of it is a uh, dangerous and deadly addiction, no matter what. Yeah, like they are going whole hog into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, a, and it, the addiction to the pills is as a, is destructive as the addiction to their brother, um, because it's an addiction to themselves. Like they're weird characters, man. I love it. They're complex. They're interesting. One thing I do want to mention that's very, very important and integral to integral to Nightmare on Film Street as a whole is uh-huh. we have to discuss that weird pizza box and how one of the bro- brothers, I do not remember which, dips their crust in red, the red wine. wine. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you wouldn't bring this up because I'm definitely going to have talked about it as one of the three good things. Like, <laughs> you want to see Jeremy Irons eat pizza? Here you go. What kind of pizza box was that? And it was a big pizza, so maybe they ordered half of an extra, extra large pizza? Kim, it's 1988. It's Can just a pizza that? shop that doesn't exist anymore. How do you get slices that big but not have to order a huge pizza. Well, I think it's a square pizza, but the ends of it have been cut into triangle-shaped pizzas. So, like, the center of the pizza is square, and the outside is still triangle. I don't understand. It was a weird box. I mean, it's Toronto. You're lucky they didn't have pineapple on that pizza. Is that a Toronto thing? 
It's a Southern Ontario thing that has spread out elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Hawaiian pizza is like a Canadian pizza. And you're like, why do we call it Hawaiian? Because it's got pineapple and ham. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only reason. People have strong opinions of that pizza one way or the other. I'm just really fascinated about what size you would... If I wanted to call up and order the pizza they're eating in this movie, what fucking size would I order? That looks like a medium pizza to me. It looks like half an extra large. It's a square pizza! It's a a medium-sized square pizza. It's a rectangle cut into weird shapes, and then you you dip it into your red wine if you want to feel fancy. So Cronenbergian. <laughs> these characters, it's I just don't think that these characters, I, I don't believe that these characters eat pizza. It's I definitely do. the first time Jeremy Irons has ever eaten a pizza. I believe it. But weird pizza aside, what are you going to rate Dead Ringers? That's tough. It's a odd movie. It's hard to rate David Cronenberg movies because I feel, at least for me personally, I have to go at least... Oh, base- two baseline? years between watching another uh, that's that film again. Sorry, I thought you were going to say for a David Cronenberg movie, there's it's at least a three out of five, no, like hands just, across the board. I think the rewatchability for me personally is low. Well, this is not the kind of movie you're just like, ooh, let's throw on dead. It's Friday night. Let's throw on Dead Ringers. <laughs> order a pizza and some red wine. Like, I mean, that sounds like a great night. <laughs> it sounds okay. It sounds like a night that we we would have, but. Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm just I'm just gonna go out and give it a. I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of four. I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of four as well. I feel weird doing it because, but it's like it's gorgeous. Like we didn't even talk about the cinematography. It looks fucking amazing. Yeah, and some of the line delivery, the dialogue, the dialogue it's incredible. is so smart and just poetic. We should have written some of it down. Oh, I felt like a dummy. Watching it, I was just like, this is such smart, sort of incesty horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want your sort of incesty horror to be lowbrow. <laughs> if it's highbrow, it's art, capital A. <laughs> yes, that's that's it, right? Yeah, this is the difference between playing in the big theater or in the tiny gross one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the theater this played in didn't have gum on the seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Purely because of Jeremy Irons. Well, three and a half from both of us, but that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of a Dead Ringers, David Cronenberg's sort of maybe incesty story about addiction. And identity. And identity starring uh, Jeremy Irons in dual roles. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at NOFS Podcast, in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at NOFSpodcast.com slash Discord, uh, on, on Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street, on TikTok. Uh, at TikTok, at Nightmare on Film Street. I am not giving, I'm tired of it. We're not giving a URL for TikTok. If you're a fan of Nightmare on Film Street, consider giving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or a five-star rating on Spotify. It really helps us get the show in front of more fiends. And if you're a super fan, consider joining the Fiend Club on Patreon at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. Bonus episodes, game nights, watch parties, tons of fun there. Yeah, if you've made it this far in the episode, I'm sure you'd appreciate a bonus episode of the show. So head over to nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. Grab yourself some new stuff that you haven't heard yet. Until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. John, are you a Beverly or an Elliot? I tell everybody I'm an Elliot, but I'm a Beverly. I'm a total Beverly. (laughs) (laughs) It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. 
Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.